It's Thursday, February 2nd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, it is our 200th episode Boom! of Market Foolery. So to all the naysayers out there who said we'd never make worth, I don't know, did we have any naysayers who saying no, there's no way? love us. That's right. Of our dozens of listeners, they absolutely love us. Um, all right, we are going to uh, step back. In honor of our anniversary, we're going to step back from the day's news. We will dip into the full mailbag, but we will uh, start with a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked. This is where the guys talk about stocks they think that are undervalued, overvalued. And, you know, with all the financial media, it's easy to overlook a few stories here and there. The guys will dig into that. Charlie Travers, let's start with the undervalued stock. What do you got? Uh, I have Nintendo, and this is undervalued with, like, yellow police tape around it, because this is very spicy, undervalued. Okay. Uh, What I like about Nintendo is that they have great brands and a long history of innovation. They pull out these products that consumer loves, and they sell a lot of them. Now, what is happening over the past few years is that PlayStation, Microsoft's Xbox, uh, these iPads that Joe has in front of them, is really eating their lunch while their Wii console is a little long in the tooth, and uh, Sony's uh, handheld device is hurting them on that end. Um, So what you have right now is $19 market cap. The company has $12 in cash with no debt, and they have a new console coming out before the holidays this year called Wii U. So I think there's a catalyst to turn this company around, and it looks cheap. Uh, but given the competitive landscape, you're really betting that they can catch lightning once again with their innovation. I think given their history, it's a good bet, but this is not a slam dunk. I, was I mean, basically, s- if they miss on this one, they're not toast, but right. they're, yeah. they're in a Multi-year setback. Fade. Yeah, multi-year setback is a good way to put it. All right, Joe Maker, you're... Undervalued stock? I'm going to go with Berkshire Hathaway. Um, I think most of our listeners are familiar with this one. It's Warren Buffett's baby. Uh, It's a conglomerate, predominantly insurance, but also railroads and a host of other small companies like Seize Candies are under the umbrella. Uh, Right now, Berkshire's selling for about 1.2 times book. If you look back over a 10-year horizon, it's more like 1.6 times book. And the reason it's trading at a low price is insurance premiums have been soft for a long time. There are signs in the making that that could change, although value guys like me have been saying that for a couple of years now. <laughs> but the longer they stay low, you know, the more likely that they'll come back in a bigger way. And I think there are some signs that's ultimately going to happen. And as a backstop, Buffett's come out and said that he'll buy back shares if they go below 1.1 times book. So you've basically got a backstop on the downside, and you get some upside if the market corrects to something more normal. Uh, Two questions related to Berkshire. One is, um, we hear from time to time, and we've talked about in this studio, about Markel, uh, which is a company that is often referred to as the baby Berkshire. Um, Do you think that that is similarly undervalued? Um, Is that an opportunity for investors as well, or or is really Berkshire a better play? I do. I own both. Um, what I like about Markel is they're basically following the same playbook that Berkshire has. Uh, their CIO, Tom Gaynor, is a great guy. We've seen him speak here at The Fool numerous times. Uh, super smart, great long-term oriented investor, just like Buffett. And he does a nice job of getting high returns on their float, which is the premium that they collect uh, from policyholders and then turn around, reinvest, and later they pay back claims. So he does a great job. And they're now moving into the space of buying up individual private companies, just like Berkshire did. Very conservative underwriting, similar story. The only downside is it's a lot less liquid than Berkshire, the, the B shares for Berkshire anyway. Yep. And, you know, with Berkshire, you've got the beauty of that buyback program kind of acting as 
a safety net for you, where you don't have that with Markel. But but I do like them both. Um, my second question, and this may sound frivolous, and I promise you it's not. What is the big deal about C's candies? I hear that all the time in related to, related to Berkshire Hathaway. It's like, oh, they have all these businesses, and they have C's candies. What? What, I've never had C's candy. What is the selling point of C's candies? Well, it's kind of a West Coast thing. I mean, it's <laughs> to be honest, the chocolate you can find chocolate just as good anywhere. I was going to say, I'm not lacking. Chocolate. We're I'm not, not Belgium la- here. I'm not lacking for candy <laughs> options in my life. No, but it, it's big on the West Coast, and it's famous because even though it was a small investment for them, it has been just this giant, tremendous multi-bagger winner for them. Okay, and it's kind of synonymous with old school Berkshire. Okay. Let's move on to the overvalued stocks. Uh, Charlie Travers, this is one near and dear to both my heart uh, and my portfolio. Starbucks? Yeah, I would say the three of us really (laughs) do uh, the store here well uh, by Full HQ. Uh, Starbucks has done a great job over the past couple years turning the business around, cutting back on the wasteful spending. I like that they introduced a dividend and they've raised it several times. I just don't like the share price right now. The stock is trading at uh, enterprise value to EBITDA 15 times. It's a little rich for a company this mature that doesn't really have a lot of growth. But that said, their same-store sales lately have been really knocking it out of the park. So maybe they can grow past uh, the share price where it's at now. Um, but I-, I would wait for a pullback, and that's just me. Are there other coffee stocks that you like better, or is this really just about... <laughs> no. 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 Nope. <laughs> Starbucks is really the best to breed across across the options. Uh, so, I know we've talked about Dunkin' Donuts, but yes. I, I, I prefer Starbucks. Okay. So I should, you know, as a lover of Dunkin' Donuts, I should continue to wait on that stock and, and wait for a couple more quarters of, right. of you know, you know growth. You get, get your 12-pack of donuts and <laughs> leave the shares alone. Oh, uh, you know me so well. Uh, Joe Mager. Your overvalued stock, is it really Best Buy? Yes. So whereas Starbucks is a great business with a bright future, but maybe its valuation is a little too rich for its prospects, Best Buy looks statistically cheap. It's selling for about eight and a half times earnings. It is trading near a two-year low. I think we're going to see many more comments <laughs> or hear them in the years to come. I don't think Best Buy is going to zero anytime soon, but I do think over a multi-year, five to ten-year time horizon, you're really going to see this thing just kind of fade into oblivion like a circuit city where you have Amazon eating their lunch, Walmart competing heavily, Costco, and all these other players just moving in on their home turf, and they're not well positioned to defend it. And the thing with big box retail is that your margins are so low, like net profit margins of single digits, that it doesn't take much of a swing in sales to just really crash your profits. And I know that we are in a tough economic time, and I do think ultimately you're going to see retailers benefit as we come back. That said, I don't think they're going to be you know, gaining share. They're going to be losing share for a long time to come to these better, lower-cost providers with better selection. Yeah, I fully agree with Joe. I think, in general, big-box retail was a 1990s business model, and yep. what you're going to see over the next decade is these stores with these giant footprints that used to be a model of efficiency is basically an albatross around their neck where they don't get the sales they need to support that infrastructure, and I think this is a long-term decline business. So just... To pick up on one big box or certainly a, a large retailer, Sears is Sears. Who's in more trouble, Sears or Best Buy? I think it's a, it's, a, it's a that's a race to the bottom between the two of them. I I think Sears is probably faster. I think Best Buy has better cash flow for now, but it, it's not far behind. What yeah, are, I think Sears has a nice real estate portfolio, and there is value in that. But you know, they're just absolutely getting killed in terms of actual execution in the business of the retail stores. 
What if I throw in tech companies like Rim and Sprint? Is is like which one is lasting the longest? It see, and I ask yeah. that in part because I mean, there's been so much upheaval at Rim. The co CEOs leaving, yeah. and 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 they appear to be just doubling down on what they've done in the past. Yeah. Which which whereas Best Buy, I hear what Joe is saying, but I also sort of look at it and think. It seems like a relatively easy first step is to just get rid of as much of that real estate as possible. And if nothing else, that buys them more time. Sure. Well, uh. just rush out and offload a bunch of Class B crappy, uh, you know, yeah, this is like box running the Kentucky Derby with 10-year-old arthritic Clydesdales. You're just like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to watch this. So out of those, I think Best Buy has the longest lifetime as an independent company. I would agree. I think RIM will probably get acquired at some point mm-hmm. for its patents and fading brand. Um, probably not, not soon enough because the new CEO is going to try his thing and fail first. Um, Sprint, they better get acquired <laughs> because yeah. they have so much debt. But, you know, at this point, there are really only a couple people who could acquire them, AT&T or Verizon Wireless. And as we just saw with the AT&T you know, debacle with T-Mobile USA. Like, yeah, that didn't work out. Just Harman doesn't happen. want, you know, much consolidation there. So there's a reason Sprint's at a multi-year low and just above two bucks. You can always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. We got an email uh, from Eric Marshall, longtime listener. Uh, in response to our conversation yesterday about Amazon and their earnings, uh, Eric writes, strong support for Amazon yesterday. The case sounds very convincing, and I love the company, but how do you get comfortable with a P.E. of 95? It's a lot better than its former P.E. of around 120, but the price can drop a long way before it reaches market level. If Google and eBay are around 12, then doesn't Amazon have to grow eight times as fast or, like Microsoft, watch its price stagnate for eight to ten years until the multiple catches up. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, maybe I should have given a little more context when we were talking about this. I think, when you were making your bull case for Amazon? Yeah. So <laughs> I own Google and eBay. I don't own Amazon. I recommended Google and eBay to Inside Value members and not Amazon because I do think they're better buys. I think they offer a better mix of valuation and growth than Amazon does. So even though I think Amazon you know, is a great long-term story and a fair to good holding here. It's not a great buy today. Charlie, you agree with that? Uh, well, he makes a very good point because some of the world's best wide moat businesses, Johnson Johnson, Walmart, Microsoft, uh, the outcome he's predicting is exactly what happened to these businesses over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Their earnings you know, grew at a high single digit rate uh, and people should have been happy with that performance and the stock went nowhere. Uh, for all three of those businesses, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen to Amazon because they can grow a lot longer than people might think. Um, but I can't rule out that scenario where you know the share price stays flat for a long time. All right, drop us an email radio at fool dot com. Send us your questions, and by all means, let us know if you've tried C's candy because again, I haven't tried it. I, it's I, delicious. Okay. I'd like to hear the listener response, but it is delicious. Can we say we're amenable to receiving a box? Is that allowed? Um, <laughs> a, a small box, a sure. Small, yeah. In honor of our 200th anniversary yeah. of Market Foolery? Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to the overlooked stories uh, that you guys have. Charlie, what's, what, what's an, a story that the financial media might be missing? I think investors are really missing out on the story in natural gas. There's a number of really cheap shares there. You know, it's not that long ago, people were falling all over themselves to buy natural gas companies. And a lot of these stocks are at 52-week lows, including Chesapeake Energy, which uh, has the largest reserves in the country. 
And, you know, people are pricing the stock as if natural gas is going to perpetually stay very depressed. I think, you know, we were talking before the show, and Joe mentioned it's at a 10-year low. That tends not to be the case with commodities. They go up and down, and I think you buy these companies when they're on the down leg. So if you're Chesapeake Energy, are you, or, or any company in the natural gas business, are you um, rooting for gas, natural gas prices just to skyrocket? Like, wh- walk me through sort of what the businesses are looking for and and what it plays out for in I terms think of there's investors. Two schools of thought. You know, if the prices skyrocket, obviously their profits are going to come up and the share price will too. However, if they stay down for a prolonged period of time, tend to tend uh, typically the weaker hands will shake out. They'll be able to pick up assets on the cheap, and the companies that are smaller with weaker balance sheets are going to be hurt a lot more than the bigger guy. Uh, so, you know, ultra long term, maybe competitively, it is better for it to stay low. Um, but eventually, you'd like the price to swing up. Uh, I want to read a quote from our colleague Rich Griefner, uh, who runs our Duke Street service, uh, because he uh, wrote something recently about Aubrey McClendon, who is the CEO over at Chesapeake Energy. Uh, and he writes, uh, the most egregious example of McClendon's indifference toward his investor base came in 2008. After being forced to sell more than 90% of his Chesapeake shares due to a margin call, he convinced Chesapeake's board to grant him a 110 million pay package, including an absurd 12 million payment for use of his antique maps. Look, the really nice maps. <laughs> yeah. Do they sing and dance? Because for, for that amount of money, that's what I would be looking for. I mean, in, in all seriousness, we do talk about the importance of management. Uh, when we're looking yes. at companies. So you're saying... Chesapeake- I did not make a management case here. We'll, yeah. say, we'll put it that way. So you're saying the other factors for yeah. Chesapeake Energy are outweighing... Yes, this the, is a, the this is a very... I mean, the you know indiscretions you mentioned are overlaid on top of what is a very aggressive balance sheet and land acquisition strategy. So there's kind of a double whammy at play. Um, but, you know, all things said, I think it's attractive. Yeah. I mean, I think the broader story is appealing. Like, I was digging into natural gas before we came in today, just coincidentally. And if you look at some of the interesting angles, like Charlie was saying, the longer it stays low, the better the potential for a bounce. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at U.S. electricity generation. 45% comes from coal. The average coal plant in the U.S. is 43 years old. Uh, the bulk of them were built, like, 1960s. As you can imagine, they pump out a lot of bad air, and new regulatory uh, you know, rules coming down the pike are basically going to make these things une- uneconomic. So you're already seeing coal producers come out and say, look, we're just going to have to shut some of these down. So when that happens, what's going to step in? Well, it's not going to be nuclear because it takes forever to bring a nuclear plant online. It's going to be natural gas because it's so cheap. So if you're patient, I think there's a big opportunity there. Uh, Joe, what's the overlooked story in your world? Plastics. Plastics. No. Uh, salt. But I'm actually serious about salt. Um, it's something that you don't pay a lot of mind to, but salt demand has slowly crept up over time. And there's one company very well positioned to benefit from that, and it's Compass Minerals. It's a small cap company that owns some of the world's biggest salt mines. And they have reserves that extend over a century. So they can basically just keep shipping salt off the wall effectively and bringing it out to you. And the salt is mostly used for de-icing roads. And so this year, just like natural gas has taken a stumble because warm weather, we haven't used as much natural gas in the winter. Warm weather, we haven't used <coughs> excuse me, as much ice on roads because we haven't had snow. So you've seen salt prices fall. Their stocks fall as, as a result. But, you know, ultimately, that's a short-term <laughs> blip. I mean, basically, the stock is off because of warm weather. Are you if, anti-warm weather in February, Joe? I'm, I am pro-warm weather. I am pl- 
pro-global warming. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, I think that if you are patient, that you could do pretty nicely, and, and it pays a nice dividend. And there's a kicker that they also produce sulfate of potash, which is a high-end fertilizer, basically, that they can charge a ton of money for, and they get great margins on. Well, uh, that goes nicely into uh, my follow-up question, which is about a, another company called Potash Corporation, because it, when you, I, I was doing a little research uh, before we came in here today, looking at those two companies, um, their stock chart over the last year are almost identical. They basically have the same return in the in the same pattern. Is this um, is is that normal for this type of company? If you're looking at these, if you're looking at this industry, if you're looking at minerals, um, whether it's salt or something else, and these types of companies, um, are the trends? Are the companies going to follow a trend together, or, or are we going to see separation like we'd see in any other industry? I, I think you know. So I've spent a lot of time looking at miners lately, whether it's gold or copper or aluminum, and they do tend to rise and fall in lockstep uh, because they're all subject to the same uh, buying prices. Maybe some have a little better economies of yeah. scale, a little better balance sheet, and you can kind of differentiate out that way. But the correlations among the share prices themselves are very high. All right, Joe Maker, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Check out The Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend on iTunes and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Monday. Monday.